Friends, welcome to Word on Fire Catholic Ministries. Word on Fire is an apostolate dedicated to the mission of evangelization, using media both old and new to share the faith on every continent and to facilitate an encounter with Christ and His Church. The efforts of Word on Fire engage the culture and bring the transformative power of God's Word where it is most needed. Today, we invite you to join Bishop Robert Barron as he preaches the gospel and shares the warmth and light of Christ with each one of us. Peace be with you. Friends, it's extraordinarily significant that the liturgical year ends with the Feast of Christ the King, our feast for today. For this great fact that Jesus Christ is the King of the world, is indeed the culmination of the biblical revelation. It is, in a very real sense, the point of the whole story the Bible is telling. And so again, it's appropriate that at the end of the liturgical year, as we sum it all up, we come to the Feast of Christ the King. Now, let's go back to the very beginning. God makes a world of stunning beauty and complexity. As the crowning point of his creation, he establishes human beings as his viceroys, or in scriptural language, he makes them in his image and likeness. It's a very interesting link there. You know, when an emperor wanted to impress upon the people that he was uh, their ruler, he would mint coins with his image and likeness on them. They were like a, a sign, a symbol of his lordship. So think here now of human beings in the biblical imagination are like coins stamped with the image of God. Well, we're made in God's image and likeness. We're meant to rule in his stead. Adam was seen by the rabbis as the first king. Now why? Because he was given the task of cultivating the Garden of Eden. Don't read that simply as lessons in farming. To cultivate this flourishing garden of life. That's the kingly task of Adam, of the human race, if you want. To rule the world in accordance with God's purposes. To preserve God's good order. And then to cause it to expand throughout the whole world. Think of Adam here as a king on the march, maintaining the good order of Eden according to God's purposes, ruling in God's um, stead. But then on the march, Edenizing the rest of the world. Now, given this understanding, you might see original sin as a failure in kingship a refusal to govern the world the way God wants it to be governed. Think of Adam here who succumbs to the temptation of the serpent, who allows the serpent to have sway over him. That's a failure in kingship. And what happens from this is a disaster. The transition from the garden to a desert. Read the chapters that follow in Genesis immediately after the description of the fall, chapters 4 and following. 
They detail for us murder, jealousy, hatred, rivalry, imperialism, a self-absorption so complete that it threatens the very existence of the human race. Walk through those familiar stories from Cain and Abel to the Tower of Babel to Noah's Ark, and all of it should sound very familiar. It's what happens when bad kingship obtains. But God does not give up on the project. Rather, he calls a whole series of kings, beginning with Abraham. Listen to the Lord. He will shape a people according to his own mind and heart. Listen, he will form a people whose mission is the cultivation and expansion of Eden. Thus Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Joshua, Samuel, and especially David, were called by God to kingship, to be new Adams, new kings who will rule the world aright. However, and now we're continuing with the biblical narrative, all of the figures just mentioned were, to varying degrees, like Adam, failed kings. To varying degrees and in different ways, they all allowed the serpent back into the garden. They went after false gods. They countenanced corruption. They followed their own egos, etc., etc. It's the sad, dispiriting story of bad kingship in Israel. The result was that God was still not the king of his creation. And so we begin to hear a longing and groaning from the heart of Israel. Listen to Psalm 145 here. Say among the nations, Yahweh is king. For Yahweh is a great God and a great king above all God. God is king over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. It's all from Psalm 145. Here's something from Isaiah chapter 40. See, the Lord Yahweh will come with might, and his arm will rule for him. The beautiful and familiar Psalm 23. Yahweh is my shepherd, I shall not want. See, what are all these? But they're expressions of the longing that God would one day again be king of his creation. Now, as I've been insinuating, the God of Israel is not one who works apart from secondary causes. He delights in including us in his providence. So yes, he could directly rule human affairs, he could set the world right on his own, but he doesn't want to do this. He wants to rule precisely through a successor to Adam, Abraham, Jacob, Moses, and David. So listen here to the prophet Ezekiel. I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and I, Yahweh, will be their God and my servant David shall be prince among them. It's a very important passage, and I could read many others like it. But you listen again, how the two kingships come together. 
I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and I, Yahweh, will be their God. Both and. God wants to become king precisely through a descendant of David. Now, this expected son of David came to be referred to as the Mashiach, the anointed one. Why? Well, the prophet Samuel had anointed David as king. We hear that the spirit of Yahweh rushed on young David. The anointed one would be a human figure to be sure, but somehow through him, God would establish his own lordship over the world. Now, can I suggest, friends, against that very dense and rich background, which is the whole story of the Old Testament, only against that background are we in a position to understand the significance of Jesus. The first words out of his mouth when he begins his preaching career are, the kingdom of God is at hand. Kingdom. That's the longing of Israel from the fall onward, that God would become the Lord and King. Furthermore, Jesus shows in his preaching, his healing, his open table fellowship, his challenge to the powers that be, that this kingdom, God's reign, God's rule, is breaking in precisely through him. The new divine order of love, compassion, forgiveness, healing, nonviolence is happening through him. And he's calling Israel to join him. This son of David, how often the gospel stress that, is also the son of God. An earthly king, yes, who's also the heavenly king come to earth. Like all the kings of Israel, Jesus is a warrior. His vision of life is dramatically opposed by the Renian powers, both Jewish and Roman. When he enters the holy city as a new David, just as Zechariah the prophet said he would, they're alarmed. When he attacks the temple establishment, they close in on him. And the battle between this new David and his enemies is definitively joined on Mount Calvary when Jesus takes upon himself all the dysfunction of the world, all the darkness that has bedeviled the human race since the original sin, and swells it up in the ever greater divine mercy. What the resurrection showed forth was the victory of Christ, and hence the victory of God. Yahweh and his David had established their reign. In the risen Jesus, God had indeed come to rule the world, and all the prophecies and hopes of the Old Testament were realized in his resurrection. And all this, everybody, is precisely what evangelization is all about. It's the declaration of the kingship of Jesus. The world is indeed under new management. 
And Christians are those who are enjoined to share that news with everyone. More to it, this is still under the aegis of evangelization. They are enjoined to get into the army of this new risen king in order to continue his struggle and his work. What went bad from Adam onward, bad kingship, is now set right by the kingship of Christ. But this king wants an army. He wants us to join him and to participate in his work. Paul, who got all of this in his bones, refers to the church as the body of Jesus, which is to say the arms, the legs, the hands, the voice of the king. We do our part directly, of course, but we also hold the powers that be accountable. We challenge them, we the church challenge them when they're acting across purposes with the true king. Can you see, everybody, how the Feast of Christ the King militates, pun intended, militates strongly against any construal of Christianity as a private religion? Just concerned about my private spirituality. No, no. There's a new king. Think of Tolkien here, the return of the king. The true king has come back to claim lordship over every aspect of life. Our challenge is to announce this kingship and then with every fiber of our being, join him, become a member of his army, and continue his great struggle. And God bless you. Thank you for listening to this week's homily from Bishop Robert Barron. For more resources from Bishop Barron, please visit wordonfire.org.